Hi, Crime Squad listeners. We had to make some test decisions at the start of this year, and unfortunately, my sisters had to take some time off. I myself was not ready to stop podcasting, so I am really excited to announce my new show, The Archivist. This is a true crime podcast hosted by me. Here is a sneak peek of the new show. The first three episodes are live now. I hope you will join me on this new venture. You can like and subscribe to The Archivist, a true crime podcast on any podcast platform. You can follow the show on Facebook under The Archivist, a true crime podcast. And if you want to see pictures from each episode, you can visit my website, thearchivistpodcast.com. Thank you, and I hope you like this first episode. You are listening to The Archivist, a true crime podcast. I'm Jana, and I am dedicated to preserving the details of lives that are lost and the crimes committed. Welcome to The Archivist. Welcome to the first episode of The Archivist. So if you are anything like me, you probably collect things. I am most definitely a collector. I collect books and hair ties, barrettes. I love kitchen gadgets and utensils. I very much have an unhealthy weakness for Sharpie markers that my husband enables big time. For instance, he bought me 115 Sharpie markers for Christmas. If that isn't a man after my heart, I don't know what. I also collect stories, gathering and preserving the details of crimes and lives that have been lost and the people that committed these atrocious acts. In archiving the details, there's going to be different categories that we see, and not all crimes are going to fit into a neat little box, but One of the categories that is a difficult one is mysterious disappearances. There's no satisfactory ending to a mysterious disappearance. And this is definitely one of those stories that leaves us frustrated and heartbroken. The Bradley family was a sweet little family from Petersburg, Virginia. And the parents, Ron and Iva Bradley, They have two children. They have a daughter named Amy Lynn and a son named Brad. Amy was born May 12th of 1974, and this family is very sweet. They sound very close. Uh, They obviously loved each other a lot, and they spent a lot of time together. Amy had graduated from high school and then went off to college at Longwood University, and she was on a basketball scholarship. Amy had finished her time at Longwood University and was graduating or had graduated with a degree in physical education. Shortly before she was about to begin a new job at a computer consulting firm, her family had planned a vacation as, you know, just like a celebration of her graduation, and they had chosen to take a cruise on the Royal Caribbean cruise ship called Rhapsody of the Seas. I don't know if you've been on a cruise, but they're a lot of fun. My family has taken a couple cruises, and we've always enjoyed ourselves. You get to do a lot of different things. There's always fun stuff to do on the ship while you're at sea. And then when you stop at the different ports, you can get off the boat and do, 
you know, various activities. They call them shore excursions. You can go snorkeling or swim with dolphins. There's also usually like really fun shopping and obviously food. Everybody's there for the food all the time. So that was what the Bradley family had envisioned for this little vacation that they were taking. The cruise was going to embark from San Juan, Puerto Rico on March 21st, 1998. And the ship was going to go from, it it had four stops. It was going to go from Aruba to Curacao to St. Martin and St. Thomas, and then return back to San Juan on March 28th. When you first board the ship, there's always like maybe a little bit of confusion. Everybody's kind of hustling and bustling and, you know, getting their luggage brought to their rooms. And then, you know, you're kind of exploring the ship in the first few hours on on the ship before it leaves port. And that's basically what the Bradley family was doing. They were, you know, getting situated. But even while this was going on, the family noticed that there were several crew members that seemed to gravitate to Amy. And at one point, while the family was, you know, off doing their different things that they wanted to do, a crew member had approached Ron and asked him where Amy was and actually used her first name, which isn't necessarily like something that you would be like, oh my God, he knows her name. And really Ron didn't even think it was that big of a deal. He knew that his daughter was pretty outgoing. She made friends very easily and just figured that she had made friends with this crew member. Um, Later though, he tells Amy that he had been approached by this guy, this crew member, and he asked for her by name and said that they wanted him and another crew member wanted to take Amy to this restaurant called Carlos and Charlie's in Aruba. And Amy was like, ew, yuck, uh-uh. I am creeped out by those guys. I don't want anything to do with them. Which was a little surprising um, that her dad wasn't quite sure what to make of it. And I think, you know, in hindsight, it seems more ominous than it did at the time, obviously. Um, Also, on a side note, Carlos and Charlie's is the same restaurant where Natalie Holloway was last seen before she disappeared in 2005. Everything seemed to be okay once the ship left port, and on Monday night, May 23rd, Amy and Brad went to a Mardi Gras-themed party at the ship's nightclub that was called the Blue Orchid. And they were seen by passengers and crew, num- crew members dancing and drinking late into the evening. And um, Amy was actually seen hanging out and dancing with a member from the ship's band named Alistair Douglas. And Douglas goes by the nickname Yellow. They were captured by the ship's videographer, Chris Fenwick. And um, so he took several minutes of video of Amy and Yellow dancing together. Amy and Brad left the nightclub around 3.30 and the computerized door lock system on the ship to get into the cabins recorded Brad entering the family's cabin at 3.35 and then Amy's entry about five minutes later. Brad told investigators that when they got back to the cabin, he and Amy did sit out on the balcony for a couple minutes and then he, you know, he was tired so he decided to go in and go to bed. But when he did that, Amy stayed out on the balcony a little while longer, and apparently she had fallen asleep in one of the lounge chairs on the balcony. Amy's dad, Ron, 
woke up about 5 a.m. and he checked to see that both Amy and Brad had returned from the night out. And uh, he said that he saw Amy sleeping in the lounge chair on the balcony. And he specifically was able to recall that the door was closed at the time. He said that if it had been open, he would have gotten up and, and closed it. He went back to sleep and woke up again around 6 a.m. And at that point noticed that Amy was no longer on the balcony and he did say that her cigarettes and lighter were also missing. And so later, this becomes, this is like kind of verified by a passenger who reports seeing Amy in an elevator with cigarettes and a lighter. So it kind of backs up the story of him saying, you know, like these things were missing. So he thought that maybe she had gone up to one of the common areas where she could smoke a cigarette. He then got dressed and went to go look for her. But he was not able to find her. And this kind of rattled him. He got really unsettled by it that, you know, she should be pretty easy to find. And he didn't think that she would leave the cabin without telling somebody where she was going. So he did return and he woke up Brad and his wife, Iva, and neither of them knew that Amy had left. So they were all, everybody was all kind of like, uh, what's happening here? When it comes to missing person cases, I'm always surprised when I read about an investigator kind of blowing off the family saying this person would not behave this way. She would return my phone calls. She would tell me where she was going. When an investigator says, oh, well, you know, this is an adult and they can leave and do whatever they want. True. You're right. They can. However, I have the experience to know that that's not how this person behaves. And I think that should hold more merit to the police or in the investigators. That should be, okay, I believe you that something is not right. Let's take a look. What's it going to hurt? So that is where we are with Ron and Iva and Brad. They're very much like, this is not right. She would have told us where she was going or at the very least, we should have been able to find her in those common areas, and she's not. So we are reporting it, and that's exactly. The, the family immediately reported Amy's disappearance to the ship's crew, and they asked them to keep passengers from leaving the cruise ship where they were docked in Curacao. And the ship was the ship's crew was like, no, 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 we're not going to make an announcement. We're not going to hold the passengers. It's way too early to assume that anything bad has happened where the family is saying, no, it is not too early. This is how she would not have behaved. She would have told us where she was going. We should have been able to find her. This has been too long. And they pushed, they pushed the ship's crew to make an announcement at the very least, which they did do. At 7.50 a.m., passengers were already getting off of the ship, and they there was an announcement that said, will Amy Bradley please come to the purser's desk? So that's all the family could get the ship to do. There was no, nothing, they didn't hold passengers back. They did also ask for a search to be done, which the crew staff did do. They searched between 12.15 and 1 p.m. and did not find any uh, any evidence of Amy anywhere. And Royal Caribbean has actually been criticized quite a bit for their delay in the search and for allowing passengers off of the ship. And I rightfully so. They should be criticized for their, their lack of action. 
the ship was en route between uh, Orangistad, Aruba, to Curacao, Antilles, the night that Amy disappeared. The Netherlands Antilles Coast Guard did conduct a four-day search after they had been contacted by Royal Caribbean and the Bradley family. And uh, they used helicopters and a plane to search the route that the ship had taken. They also, um, the Royal Caribbean also chartered a boat that they used to look for Amy along the route. But unfortunately, there was no sign of Amy. Nothing was found and the search was called off. The search by the Coast Guard was called off March 27th. And the Royal Caribbean chartered boat ended March 29th. And again, there was no evidence of Amy in the water. When the cruise ship returned to San Juan, Puerto Rico, they the family did have to leave without Amy. Leaving without Amy was really difficult for the family. They, When they got home, they did contact their congressman and a f- couple foreign officials. And they did eventually contact the White House, but they never received any assistance from any of these administrations. They, The Bradley family did start a website with a 24-hour hotline, and they hired a private detective. Authorities suspected that Amy had fallen overboard or committed suicide. And again, this goes back to what I was saying before. Her parents were just, no, she would not have committed suicide. They knew Amy well enough to know that that was not where she was in life. Her body has never been found. There's no evidence of foul play in the family's cabin. And now they do say this. I I don't know how I feel about this part. They often point out that Amy was very athletic and was considered a strong swimmer. She had at one point in her life worked as a lifeguard. And so they felt like if she had fallen overboard, she would have been able to swim to safety. I personally don't know. Can you survive a fall like that? I really don't know. At the beginning of the search, while the ship was uh, going to all of its ports of call, There were a couple sightings. Like I'd mentioned, there was a passenger who reported seeing Amy in an elevator. There was also a cab driver in Curacao who reported being approached by a woman that matched Amy's description. And she had told him that she needed a phone. This was never confirmed, but that was one of the sightings that's reported early in this Amy's family begins this nightmarish cycle of chasing these supposed sightings of Amy, and they just don't have any way to confirm if any of them are true. She's basically turned into a ghost. In August of 1998, a few months after the cruise that um, Amy's family had been on, a Canadian man named David Carmichael was on vacation in Curacao and he reported a really weird incident where he had seen a woman walking with two men uh, into a small restaurant that was on the beach and he said that he had begun speaking English to a friend of his and at that time when he spoke the woman you know immediately took notice of him and she began walking towards him He thought that she was about to say something to him when one of the men that she was with grabbed her by the arm and forced her to walk away. And he then said that when they were in the restaurant, the woman kept trying to make eye contact with him. She was constantly staring at him. And 
he really was very like, this is such a weird, this, this is weird. What is happening? But when he gets home, he sees Amy's case profiled on the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. And he is at that point convinced that he saw Amy, that that was the woman that he saw in the restaurant in Curacao. So he contacts the Bradley family through their website. And he does describe some tattoos that the woman had that match tattoos that Amy had. And he says he was two feet away from her and 100% certain that it was Amy. So Amy had several tattoos. She had a Tasmanian devil spinning a basketball on her shoulder. She had a sun on her lower back, a Chinese symbol on her right ankle, and a gecko lizard on her navel. And she also had a navel ring. I hate the word navel. She had a belly button ring. (laughs) So those tattoos had been described by David Carmichael. In January 1999, a petty officer with the U.S. Navy also claims that he saw Amy in a brothel in Curacao. Um, He said that this woman had approached him, told him that she was Amy, and begged him to help her. She told him that she was not allowed to leave. She was being held against her will. And she wanted help to get out. Uh, he did not report this encounter, which shame on him. And he was afraid that he would get in trouble with the Navy for going to a brothel. He did contact Amy's family after he saw a picture of her in the magazine. Unfortunately, there is no way to confirm if this sighting is true because the brothel that he told them he had been to had burned down between his sighting and then when he reported it, unfortunately. A man named Frank Jones that said he was a former Navy SEAL contacted the Bradley family in the fall of 1999. He told them that he had information that Amy was being held in Curacao by a group of Colombian gangsters. He told them he had found an eyewitness, a cook in Curacao, who described all of Amy's tattoos and quoted the lyrics to a lullaby song that she said she had heard heard Amy sing. And this did turn out to be a song that Iva had taught to Amy. Jones and a partner who was also another former Navy SEAL went to Curacao to find Amy. And he contacted the family after a few weeks and told them that he needed more money to pay for a mission to rescue Amy. And at that point, the Bradleys asked for concrete proof that this woman was actually Amy. So he provided a picture of a woman who looked like her. Once they saw the picture, they did feel like this was, you know, something, this was true or real. And they did give him more money. They ended up giving him about $210,000 in total. So after they paid this extra money, Frank told the family to fly to Florida and wait for him to call back. They were there about a week when they received a phone call from another man who supposedly worked for Jones. And he then told the family that this was a scam. None of it was real. The cook, the photos, the Colombians, the house under surveillance is all a fraud. And 
Frank Jones was not a Navy SEAL and he actually had never been in the special forces. So heartbroken, obviously they went to the police and Jones was arrested. He did eventually plead guilty to mail fraud and he was given a five-year sentence and ordered to pay restitution to the Bradley family. And I cannot with this guy, how can you be so cruel? This poor family, I just don't even know. Another possible sighting happened in 2005. A woman named Judy Maurer was in a department store in Bridgetown, Barbados, when she encountered a woman in a restroom. So Judy was in a stall when she heard two men bust into the restroom and begin screaming and threatening another woman who was there. Maurer waited for a few minutes, and then when she felt like they were gone, she opened her stall door and she saw a woman crying standing by the sink the woman told judy that her name was amy and she was from virginia at that point the men returned to the restroom and they physically forced the woman to leave with them judy went to the fbi and gave descriptions of these three people and the composite of the woman does resemble amy the Bradley family went on to an episode of dr phil in november of 2005 and on this episode, they revealed that they had been emailed two photographs by a person who claimed to belong to an organization that attempts to track victims of sex trafficking. And they showed one of the photos that was in the email, and it looks so much like Amy. The family was even more convinced at this point that Amy had been sold into sex slavery. In 2010, in October, a hurricane named Hurricane Tomas impacted all of the islands in the Caribbean Sea. This storm traveled northwest and passed over several islands before it uh, became an actual hurricane. It was a tropical storm at that point. By the time it reached Martinique, it had strengthened to a hurricane with winds of over 100 miles an hour. The storm moved northwest through the Central Caribbean, and it began to de deteriorate. By the time it reached Cuba, it was back to being a tropical storm. Tomas did over $463 million worth of damage, and 44 people did die. A few weeks later, after this storm went through the area, a human jawbone was discovered on a beach in Aruba, and this actually originally was thought to be part of Natalie Holloway's body, but testing confirmed that it was not. However, it did confirm that it was the jawbone of a Caucasian woman. Some people have speculated that this may be Amy or any of the nine other Caribbean vacationers who had disappeared in the previous 15 years. No further testing has been done at this point. I wish there would be a way that we could know why there's no testing that has been done. I would like to know, you know, who this jawbone belonged to. There's many theories about what happened to Amy Bradley. Obviously, the story with the most credibility is that Amy was taken from the cruise ship and sex trafficked. Royal Caribbean crew members were less than cooperative with the family. And later, the FBI told Amy's family that... The crew did not even search the whole ship. They only searched the common areas and bathrooms. 
the staterooms and the employee living quarters were ignored. The FBI was permitted to board the ship, but by the time they got there, there was no way that they could get any evidence. After 12 years, Amy Bradley was declared legally dead in March of 2010. Amy's family is offering a $250,000 reward for any information that leads to her recovery. The FBI is also offering $25,000 for information leading to her recovery or to the individuals responsible for Amy's disappearance. This is the story of Amy Bradley and her disappearance. And unfortunately, we do not have a resolution in this case. We only have speculation. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Archivist. The Archivist podcast is a production of Three Sisters Crime Squad.